Hi, I just finished a great episode of the IC Disc Show with Dave Kane, the president of 21st Century Programming. Uh, for anyone in the scrap metal business, I think this is really a very relevant episode that I think they will enjoy a lot. But for folks not in the scrap metal industry, I still think you might find it interesting because it's such a fascinating industry in a lot of ways. And uh, you might find it interesting just from just learning about another industry. Uh, we covered a lot of different uh, topics and uh, how their software is different, the history of the company, uh, their commitment to uh, doing whatever it takes to uh, make the software work best for the clients. And then we also get into a collaboration uh, initiative that we've launched on between export advisors and 21st century programming. Uh, Dave Kane is a really uh, bright uh, guy who I really enjoyed uh, interviewing and hearing his story. So I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. Hello, this is David Spray and welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest today is Dave Kane. Dave uh, co-founded 21st Century Programming back in 1999 and currently serves as the president. Uh, 21st Century Programming is a leader provi leading provider of custom software solutions for the recycling and waste industries. And I'm happy to have Dave on the show today. Uh, Dave, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, I really appreciate you being on, on the show. I've wanted to have you on for uh, really a while since I first met you at an ISRI convention. Geez, I bet it's been about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, we share a significant number of clients, and I really appreciate all that you've done for those shared clients to make the IC disk, you know, really just as easy uh, and uh, non-intrusive for them, uh, you know, including the fact that you've been willing to even tweak uh, some of your software to be able to help uh, our mutual clients. So thank you. Well, David, thank you for having me on the podcast. You know, we have developed a really good relationship with your team. And through the conversations that we've had, I really appreciate all of the guidance and um, information that you've given me that's really allowed us and our programming team to ensure that our clients or our mutual clients are able to use the IC disk system to be able to get the most out of it. You know, and I got to tell you, when i when you first really explained to me what's going on with this IC disk and how it can save our customers money, I was nothing but excited. And I really am going to you know, let all of our customers know about it and really try and push it because it's such a great cost savings for them and provides such great benefit. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I agree completely. So uh, why don't we uh, kind of get into some background? So uh, uh, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Southern California, uh, born there, native there, went to high school there, college there, and lived there for the first 50 years of my life. Wow, a native Californian. That's, uh, that's a, a rarity, isn't it, from what I understand? Uh, you know, I guess so, but uh, now it's coming the opposite and that everybody's <laughs> leaving California and heading the other direction. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. In in accounting inventory, there's a a term called FIFO, first in, first out. So uh, that would make sense. The folks that have been there the longest uh, are the first ones to leave, like such as folks (laughs) like yourself. Yeah. so you uh, so you uh, grew up in Southern California, and uh, did you end up going to college in California then? Yeah, you know, I was a Southern California person every which way. I even went to UCLA and uh, really enjoyed that experience. Um, I was an English major, and people look at that and say, that's kind of a strange major, but I'll tell you, it was one of the best things I ever did. I was always really good with math, always really good with computers. I get science, I get physics, I get calculus, I understand all that. And my ability to explain what goes on or what my thoughts are, I wasn't so good at. And so by being an English major, it really gave me the ability to express myself and to be able to listen to people and understand what it is that they're trying to say and read between the lines. And I got to tell you, it's one of the best things I ever did. Wow, that is like the most Ben Franklin-ish stories I think I've ever heard. I mean, most people that have your natural aptitude in math and science and logical thinking and programming, uh, you would typically expect them to go get a computer science degree to kind of focus on their strengths. But your willingness to focus on kind of your weaknesses is uh, is just really, uh, really interesting. Did you ever, while you were going through the program, did you ever have any second thoughts like you wished you were hanging out, you know, with the other uh, computer folks? Uh, uh, no, because at the time I was be I was doing internships in the film business and okay. learned a lot about how the film business goes. And at the time, I was thinking that maybe I wanted to be a writer. And my dad wanted me to be a doctor, <laughs> you know, okay. like all dads want. And, uh, you know, I tried to find that balance. And while I was in college, you know, trying to learn to write, I found that the film business just wasn't for me. It okay. was a... Uh, who you know, backstabbing, political business, and I'm just not that kind of person. It just wasn't for me. Okay, that I uh, that I can appreciate that. So, so you graduate, I think, in 1993, if my facts are correct. Yep. And uh, so you graduated, and I guess you just maybe the day you uh, got your diploma, you just maybe had this epiphany from above that you need to get into the recycling business. Is that is that what happened? Nope, not at all. In fact, okay, what happened? <laughs> um, my dad had bought his recycling company when I was about six years old. And it was in downtown Los Angeles. And basically, he would take me down there on the weekends. And I'd go there every summer, work in the business. And my first job is I was the can sorter. He would take me and you know throw me into a four by six full of aluminum cans with a magnet. And he'd give me a nickel for every steel can that I pulled out of the aluminum cans. And oh, wow. um, yeah, so that was my first job in the scrap business. I bet and you smelled, I, I bet you're... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I bet your mother must have really appreciated how you smelled having been in a box with beer cans all day. Well, you know, I don't know the answer to that one, but I can <laughs> tell you as a little as a little kid, there's nothing more fun than that. And, uh, you know, jumping <laughs> into those cans and swimming around in them and doing all that nasty, yucky stuff was great. <laughs> that is awesome. So you started as a can sort of and you said you were six when your dad bought the business. Yeah. And, and how did he get about, into the business? Oh, and I'm just going to curious. How did no, he no, get okay. into it? Had he was he been an he, employee for somebody else? No, he, he 
when when he moved to Los Angeles, he you know went through different odds and ends jobs and ended up working at a surplus type of store. And okay. one of the guys that would come and buy the scrap metal from the surplus store, he became friends with. And he goes to my dad one day and says, there's this company that's in downtown. They're having some uh, issues. And I don't want to go into what the issues were because it's a long story. Um, sure. But uh, the guy needs to sell his business. And so he and my dad got together. They pooled their money, partnered up, and they bought the business from the guy. Wow. Wow, that's a that is a great story. It's uh, you know it's always interesting because everybody's got a little different story of how they got into the scrap business. So uh, that's a great well, one. It's so a, so go it's ahead. a fantastic business, and I really enjoy it. And that's one of the things that I really like about my job is how diverse the business is. How every place we go to is slightly different. And, uh, you know, the little kid in me still loves watching uh, shredders chew up cars, copper choppers, everything. Mm -hmm. And I I enjoy the physical nature of the business. I can appreciate that. So you started right away as a can sorter, I guess, right after he bought it. Yep. And and then did you just continue to work part time there, like all yep, through all the way high school, or? all the way, yep, all the way through high school, all the way through college. Yes, I did other jobs and uh, odds and ends, but the scrapyard was always there, and I'd always, you know, spend my summers down there. And I'm probably one of the few computer programmers you're ever going to meet that can sort copper by sight, sort aluminum by sight, sort your stainless by sight, uh, drive your forklift, load your containers, dump your roll offs and uh, haggle over prices at the scale with your uh, retail customers. <laughs> that, I, I, I bet you're right. I, uh, I bet you are right on that. So when you graduated from college, did you consider uh, joining the business full-time or what did you do then when you graduated? No, that's, uh, that's exactly what I did. And I had actually joined the business more full-time while I was still in school. And, um, you know, what, what happened was I did what a lot of kids do. I took a year off between, uh, sophomore and junior year, spent eight months in the film business, seeing if I liked it, hated it. And, um, said to my parents, you know, Hey, I want to not do this. I want to go back to school, finish my degree. They didn't believe me. And they thought for sure when I was going to take the year off that I was never going back. Um, but I did. And, um, you know, and I had the scrap business to work at while I was paying my way through college. Okay. So then when you actually graduated then, did so did you actually then join full-time or did you do something yeah, else yeah. before? Yeah. So, so at that point I joined full-time and, uh, you know, worked in the business for a couple of years until about 1995, 96, somewhere around there. And at that point, my dad sold the business. It was on uh, an upswing. Okay. Yeah, it was on an upswing, and he thought it was time for him to get out and retire and move on to greener pastures. Unfortunately, that kind of left me and my brother in a little bit of a lurch, but, uh, you know, things happen, and you grow up, and you deal with it. Um, sure. <laughs> exactly. So my brother went to work for a very large uh, processor in the re- in the recycling business in L.A. called Alpert & Alpert, and he was a sure. buyer for them, and uh, I went to work for a... Gosh, how can I phrase it? The high temperature alloy specialty company, and learned all about the nickel, cobalt, titanium business, um, and the industrial accounts business from these guys. 
um, you know, to continue my education, I guess, in the recycling business, but it was also needed something to do after my dad sold the company. And so I went to work for somebody who my dad had been friends with for many years and they brought me on and uh, I worked for them for a few years. Okay. And then, so this is where the story gets interesting because if I'm doing my math here, this was 95, 96, but you started 24th century programming with your brother in 1999. So what happened that gave you this epiphany that you, that uh, you needed to create a software business well, specifically for recycling? So I'm working for this company and my brother's working for Albert and Albert and I'm not happy. You know, I was thinking I was going to end up working for my dad's business and eventually owning that. And, uh, you know, that was going to be my life path. And that didn't work out that way. So I wasn't the most thrilled working for somebody else. So my brother said, you know, yeah. So my brother says to me, you know, Dave, you and this is, you know, 96, 98 ish time period. And this is right when the dot com stuff's going crazy. And everyone's saying, oh, you got to dot this, dot com that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. all, all the all the world's gone crazy before the first bubble burst. And so my brother says to me, you know, Dave, um, I see you're not happy doing what you're doing. And you've always been really good with computers. Uh, my parents got me my first computer when I was 12. I took to that thing like a fish to water. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but I speak computer. I can make the dumb little box do just about anything I wanted to. Okay. Uh, and my brother says, why are you wasting your time in the scrap business? The, you know, programming business or the dot-com business is where it's at. So I, I agreed, <laughs> you know, quit my job that I was not having fun with. Uh, Actually, yeah, so I quit my job in the recycling business, and I go back to school. I take a few programming classes, get uh, an understanding of it, and um, get a job working for a programming company, a fairly okay. large one, and um, you know, doing medical billing systems. And okay. it was a complex thing, and uh, I was part of a very large team and you know, working on things. And so me and my brother, we'd get together and we'd have a few beers and we'd be talking, you know, the world and stuff like that. And he'd be saying to me, Dave, you know, my job is to go around to these scrapyards and try and buy their material. And I'll tell you that they have just this horrible computer systems out there. And I'd be like, George, you got to see the stuff that I'm working on. I got all this technology, all this cool things that I can do and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we eventually said, maybe we should, you know, put our heads together and do it. So we bought a giant whiteboard, a big 10 foot by six foot whiteboard and uh, set that up in our apartment that we were sharing at the time. Started whiteboarding out what the program was going to be and started putting together, you know, prototype. And I would work on that at night, uh, you, know, during, you know, when I had time and eventually put together a the basis for the program that we're using today. And I went and, and I took that base. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to ask you, what's the name of that that program? We, we call it the Recycling Operations Manager. Uh, also known as ROM. Correct. Okay, so you you have this uh, this kind of prototype to build, and you mm -hmm. uh, you were doing a side hustle before you know side hustles were even uh, you know the the thing in vogue. It sounds like. Well, I you know call it what you want. I call it just <laughs> you got to work hard to get what you want, 
and uh, I was not happy working for other people. It just it didn't suit me well. The uh, program and system that I was working on, I had an epiphany one day. This company, you know, it's a huge company, thousands of employees, and they go and they pile everybody onto buses and take them down to this place in San Diego where they rent out this huge convention hall. And the CEO of the company gets up there and he says, our number one mission is to unlock shareholder value. Boy, that gets you like, excited, doesn't it? As I know. Employee. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? And uh, the guy gives this whole speech about the future, blah, 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 blah. And nowhere in there does he mention make a good product, do customer <laughs> support, uh, okay. be good to people. It's all about how can we manipulate the stock value of this company so that me as the CEO can make a killing. Gotcha. And I said, and okay, just, this is not the job resonate. for me. Yeah, and I'm guessing that didn't resonate with your your you know somewhat idealistic uh, mid twenties uh, self brain. Who, uh, <laughs> yeah, who had some resistance to being an employee to begin with. So uh, yeah, I can see where that. Uh, okay, so you have yeah. this epiphany at the convention center in San Diego. Yeah, and then yeah. what happens? Uh, you know, so I'm putting together this program and I get it to a point where it's usable and gets all the concepts that I have, you know, that we have at the time, which at the time was really revolutionary. At the time, nobody was using touchscreens. This is, you know, 1998. Nobody was using barcodes to do anything. And um, there was a lot of technology out there that people just weren't taking advantage of in the recycling business. So mm -hmm. I put together a touchscreen space system, using barcodes for tagging stuff, using barcodes for scanning at uh, ATMs and at the cashiers and things like that. And I go to a guy that was a friend of my dad's that I'd known since I was, you know, six years old. And I lug in my giant computer with my big 19-inch CRT, and I plop it down on the guy's desk, and I do a little demo for him. And uh, half an hour later, he says to me, Dave, I've been looking for software for years. This is the best thing I've ever seen. How much do you want? And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, well, I don't know. So I say, $10,000? And the guy says, okay, no problem. And uh, he reaches into his, his desk. He pulls out one of those old-fashioned checkbooks, writes a $10,000 check, hits it with the, you remember those machines where you go, junk, and it yeah. stamps the amount in there and uh, hands me the check and says, when can you install it? And I said, I'm going to need a little time to finish it up, but <laughs> no problem. Um, and the next day, I went into my job and I quit. And awesome. I've been doing this ever since. Now, when did your brother then, did he end up quitting to join you full time? Yeah. So what happened was after I got the first sale, got the thing in, um, my brother went to his boss and said, you know, hey, my, my younger brother's doing this uh, thing here where he's selling it. Is it okay if when I go to buy somebody's scrap metal, if I mention it to him? It doesn't compete with what we're doing. It's in no way, shape, sure. or form a conflict of interest. And they said, sure, George, you've been a great employee. We love you. Go for it. Oops. And so my that brother, was mistake one. That was mistake one his employer yep, made, didn't he? Yep. Yep. And so George went and got, uh, within a couple of months, we had four more customers. And it got to a point where it was more than I could handle by myself. And so he's, he went to his boss and said, you know, it's, growing and uh you know he left and they basically said you know hey george 
good luck. And if you ever want to come back, you're always welcome. And uh, we we wish you the best of luck, but know that you have this as a fallback. Yeah, um, translation, translation, this cockamamie idea of the software tool is not going to work. We'll see you in six months. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But they were they were very gracious and very nice people and, uh, you know, very good, very good people there. Um, yeah, I've had so a chance he, to meet some of the, the folks there. Really a great organization. Yes. And um, so we started working on this thing. And uh, soon after that, we got, you know, more customers and more customers and more customers. And now today... You know, I haven't counted lately, but I'd say we're somewhere in the 300 to 400 range in terms of number of facilities that use our system. That is awesome. So how did you and your brother kind of divide up the work? Did you do the programming and he did like the sales or? Yep, that's exactly how we broke it up. I I type 100 words a minute. I get the computer. I can sit there and make the thing do what I want it to do. And so he took the training and, you know, sales side of it while I dealt with all the technical issues. That is, uh, that is awesome. And then, um, so let me just kind of re- finish up that story before I'd kind of like to come just the company history and then I'll come back. So how long did you and your brother, uh, you know, you know, were you teamed up together in the company? Or is he still so- there? No, so I bought him out in 2015 um, after 15 years of doing the the business, and uh, he just had gotten tired. Um, okay, you know he wanted variety and needed a change, um, you know, for his own sanity. I don't know, you know, it was always my baby and always the thing that I really enjoy, and I'm the one that put the most sure. heart into it. You know, not to say that he didn't put hard and effort into it. Please don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, after doing something for 15 years, human beings can use a little bit of a break and a change of pace and a little bit of difference. And that was what yep. it was. And I could see he was burned out. And, you know, I love him dearly and I want the best for him. And so I gave him a very gracious buyout and took really good care of him. That is uh, that's a great story. Sometimes uh, a family, you know, doing business with family doesn't have such a happy ending. Uh, but that's one of the great things about the recycling business. You know, I look at all of our clients and, you know, their, their family businesses and they manage to make the, the family dynamics work. So I guess you had a good uh, uh, kind of industry role model for uh, making family relationships work in business. So um, family is family is important. Yep. Okay. So that kind of brings us up to the, to the current. So you went from uh, that first client writing you a check on the spot to now having, you know, three to 400 clients. And uh, so let's, let's kind of talk. So exactly what does uh, this, this ROM uh, tool do? So our software can be viewed as an all encompassing tool that runs the recycling business. It handles so is it kind everything. of like an ERP? I'm sorry, I don't mean it's to a, talk about Yeah, no, no, no. It's exactly like an ERP system. Um, the only difference is, is that we're not a true accounting program. And the reason why we went down that path was because we said we couldn't write a better accounting program than QuickBooks, and QuickBooks couldn't write a better recycling program than we could. So why bother trying? And so that makes we, sense. Yeah, but 
there's a lot of nuances to how accounting and the recycling business works. And so what we, what, what we do is we go into a business, we understand what it is that they're doing, and then we go and we tailor our system to meet them, not necessarily a 100% match because it's not a 100% custom program for them, but to take our template and our base and tweak it, modify it, adjust it, so that it is able to handle the business requirements that our customers have. And okay. so over the yeah, and so over the course of, you know, 20 years, we've seen every type of business out there just about. Um, we have customers that are huge enterprises with multiple locations handling, you know, hundreds of thousands of tons of Ferris a month. And we have customers that are unique specialty metal places that only handle one type of metal and process that in a very, you know, uh, close to the vest, customized way um, to maximize the profit that they get out of the singular item. And so we've okay. developed a, so we've, we've been able to customize and tweak and adapt and create this incredibly flexible product that we can go into just about any recycling business today, have a few tweaks here and there and a few, you know, turn this on, turn that off, flip this switch, process it like that type of configuration and be able to handle just about anything that people throw at us. That is, uh, that really is, is interesting. And by the way, for the listeners, ERP, I believe that stands for Enterprise Resource Planning Software. This is like SAP or program. and Oracle or program. Okay. And so, and that kind of takes me to my next question is why, why wouldn't these large, you know, scrap companies just go buy something like, you know, Oracle or SAP or some, or, or your smaller clients buy just some smaller ERP tool that's more generic. Uh, why is the is the uh, created specifically for scrap so uh, so important? Because I'm sure these other companies would say, "Hey, we work in any industry. We can you know make it work." And I'm sure they probably tell their clients, "Oh yeah, you can run uh, SAP or Oracle to run your scrapyard, no problem." But what's the what's the problem with that approach, and why do you think there's a need for a specific scrap work scrap software tool? I would say that so so there's multiple things you brought up there. First, just to kind of address the SAP question, so. Um, gosh, I want to say 10 years ago, waste management attempted to install SAP and get it working for their business. And they ended up turning around and suing SAP for over a hundred million dollars, um, because they couldn't get it to do what waste management does. And that's because recycling is different. It is not like your standard business. The first most common way that I could phrase it is that it's like a reverse retail operation. Every reverse other retail. business, yeah, what does reverse that mean? retail. What does so that every mean? other every other business on the face of this planet, you walk into that business with money and you leave with goods. In the mm-hmm. recycling business, everybody walks in with goods and they leave with money. Ah, okay, reverse retail. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, and, that makes sense. Yep. And then beyond that, you start to talk about how inventory is managed in a recycling business. And it is one crazy difficult concept that companies like SAP are just never going to get. How is it that you buy copper number two and you end up selling copper number one? 
or you will have discrepancies if you're a wire chopper. You bought all this insulated wire and you're selling copper chops. And it's not a and it's not a consistent manufacturing process. Yes, you buy insulated wire. Yes, you put it into the copper chopper. Yes, chops come out. But the results are different every time. The percentages are different. The time it takes to process, it's different. The outcome of the material you get is different. How you pay your supplier for that material is different every time. And whether you're paying them for straight for the material, paying them based off of recovery, paying them a formula against the COMEX based off of recovery, there's just a tremendous level of nuances that they do. And then they take all this metal that they buy and they run it through many different types of equipment, whether it's the guy sorting brasses and taking plumbing scrap and turning it into yellow and red, or whether it is um, buying contaminated aluminum and having a guy sitting there with a shear chopping off the little steel screws that are on the end of your window frames um, mm-hmm. or pulling the, the screens out of the middle of the frames. And so you say contaminated... When you say contaminated, you don't mean like environmental contamination. You meaning it's got a no contaminated al- embedded sorry. in there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm using industry terms. Contaminated aluminum is a term used for aluminum that it has metal or, or steel or other types of things on it besides aluminum. Gotcha. And just so you know, about half of our audience are in the scrap metal business and the other half are, you know, any number of other things. And so I'm guessing that this episode will be mostly people in the scrap business, but I'm going to encourage folks not in the scrap business to listen to it because it's really such a fascinating industry. So I'm going to periodically kind of try to balance uh, uh, translating some stuff for the non-scrap people. So thank you for letting (laughs) me know. digress on the contamination. And then isn't there a term that describes that process when you buy uh, insulated copper wire for 20 cents and you end up selling, you know, number two copper for $3? Is it, is that what they call upgrading or? It's called making money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. So, so back to the, back to what makes the recycling business so unique. Yeah. Um, So, you know, along with the complexity that inventory comes with, um, there is also a lot of nuances for the accounting side of it. And what happens is, is the market will go up and the market will go down. And when the market is down, like we've seen, for example, in the last year, or in what we've seen happen with China and their restriction of importing paper into China and different metals into China, um, the value of the commodities that recyclers handle drop dramatically. And there mm-hmm. comes a point where the value that you can get for the recycling material that you handle is less than the, the cost for you to truck it and haul it and pick it up from somebody and process it. So at that point, people start to charge for it. And so Mm -hmm. then what happens is, is you get into this really complex accounting where you are receiving material into your inventory, adding it to your inventory, but you're charging the customer. So you have to be able to balance that incoming with the fact that it's no longer a payable and now it's a receivable. And how do you balance that, that, that transaction in a way that's easy for the users to do and doesn't require 50 different steps? 
Wow, I never thought about that. I mean, I've been to probably a hundred scrapyards over the last decade, and but I never thought about that aspect of it. Where, where, uh, yeah, sometimes it's they're paying the customer for it, and sometimes the customer are paying them. And I never, and I knew that happened, but I didn't think that that for the same commodity that that could shift from time to time. Mm-hmm. So that's really yep. interesting. And I can see where that is difficult from an accounting perspective. And so our system, you know, we built that in and have it where it handles that in a very slick, easy fashion for people. Another one that happens with accounting and accounting packages that, that people don't quite get is the payment discrepancies. So one of the things that happens in the recycling business is what you sell and invoice your customer for is not yeah. necessarily what you get paid. And right. there's a lot of different changes to that. So you may get paid less money, you may get paid more money. And that's based off of the fact that no two scales weigh the same. If you mm-hmm. take a truck and that truck weighs uh, 75,000 pounds on your scale, you can drive it down the street and it's going to weigh 74,960 down the street. And right. they're going to pay you based off of the 960 versus the 1,000 mm-hmm. um, because that's what their scale said it was. And it goes both ways. It goes up and it goes down. Well, when it goes up, an accounting program, you have to make a whole nother invoice to handle that change in, in the fact that it was more than what you originally invoiced it for. And then you have to apply okay. the cash to both of them. And it's just a whole bunch of paperwork that needs to be handled in order to do it correctly. And our system, you just say, great, I got overpaid and take care of it. And that takes care of your gross margin reporting and everything, because when you get down to the gross margin and you have to have two invoices, one for you know $10,000 and one for $8.40, your gross margin calculations start to get a little awkward. Yeah, I can imagine. And so, so I know you'd mentioned that your original strategy was to not try to reinvent the wheel with uh, accounting at, or accounting kind of module. Is that still the philosophy of you're just yeah, trying to so, integrate with other accounting systems? Yes. And if so, which ones of the popular well, we inter- ones do you integrate with? So, yes, it's still true. I, our system is not going to be something that you would use for paying your electric bill. Mm-hmm. Um, or doing uh, fixed assets. That's just, uh, you know, not our wheelhouse. But the nuances that go into calculating your profit is exactly what we do. And so then by taking those nuances, we bundle them up into nice digestible journal entries into the accounting package, and uh, then you get the true information and you get the ability to have the flexibility that our system provides. And so gotcha. when you say, what packages do we work with? I want to say just about all of them. Okay. And that, uh, across our customer base, we see QuickBooks is the most common, then Peachtree, then Great Plains, um, mm-hmm. or Dynamics, I think is bought by Microsoft. Um, we do have many customers using Mass and BusinessWorks and, uh, okay. you know, the whole, the whole gambit. And it's because we try and be flexible. We don't want to go into a new customer or a new location and say, hey, 
you got to change. I mean, we tell them you got to change a lot of things and we bring a lot of change with us. But accountants, you know, they like to have their things that they're used to looking at and the way that they're used to looking at the world. And accountants look at things very different than operations guys. So we mm-hmm. make all the operations guys happy, handle their, you know, difficulties and things that they work with on a daily basis. And then we summarize it and roll it all up and make it accountant friendly. Hmm. So that really makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, since this podcast is called the IC Disc Show, I guess I should probably talk about IC Disc. <laughs> and you've made a great and you've made a great, kind of a great point that I want to just make a quick aside to that. The one of the reasons that that scrap, there's two reasons that scrap metal or recycling is our number one client sector. Uh, one is that it's a very fragmented industry that works well for us. And, uh, and the other is that, well, and then of course, a lot of scraps exported. So that's the second, but the third and the most important is when you do the IC disc calculation, there's what we call the easy way and the hard way. And uh, the easy way, you just group all your transactions together. Uh, you look at your total revenues and then you're, you, out, you do an apportionment of the company profits. You come up with the export profit, the export revenues, and there's a simple formula you apply. Bam, you're done. It's called the standard calculation. IC disc tax returns 10 pages long. But there's another way to do the calculation that's a more advanced calculation, also known as transaction by transaction. And on that calculation, you end up doing a gross profit calculation for each individual line item of each individual invoice. And at that line item level, we get to cherry pick one of 18 different methodologies to calculate the uh, IC disk, uh, what's called the commission amount for that transaction, and then you get to add it up. Well, across all industries, the benefit of doing the advanced calculation is about two to two and a half times greater. But in the scrap metal business, it's like three, sometimes 10 times greater. We just did a calculation just literally yesterday for scrap client on the East Coast, 50 million in revenue, the uh, export revenue. The standard calc was about $200,000. The transaction by transaction was 2.3 million, had an 11X increase. And part wow. of the reason this works, yeah, it's it's amazing. And part of the reason it works so well in the scrap business is the number one thing that drives the benefit of the transaction by transaction is gross margin percentage variability. Because in like a typical manufacturing uh, operation, their gross margin percentage range is usually pretty narrow. You know, on this type of product, you know, because of competitive stuff and everything else, their gross margins, you know, 50 to 55%. Well, in the scrap business, because you've got fluctuating prices that they're paying when they buy the product and fluctuating prices when they sell it, they go all the way from, you know, huge gross profit percentages to losing money, like on the same transaction, depending on what time of year it happened. Um, you know, for example, if copper's two dollars and they and they uh, and they or say they bought some copper for two dollars uh, and they sell it when copper selling for three dollars, big profit. But if if copper really does a nosedive and they don't want to hold on to it and they sell it for a dollar eighty, they actually lost money on that. 
So it's that variability that makes the uh, the scrap industry so valuable for the transaction by transaction. But there's a catch, and you know what the catch is, and that catch is that we need to know the gross profit for each transaction. And you know as well as I do that many scrapyards, because of the upgrading and the fact you buy one thing and you sell something else, most scrap companies can't tell you with the push of a button what their gross profit was on any individual transaction. Is that right? You actually would know this better than me. Is that an accurate statement that the average scrap company? Um, so I don't, I would say that for any scrap company not using our software, that's probably. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair, <laughs> but, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, a, a scrap company using our software that that is available. And okay. that's where working with you guys has been very advantageous, I think, for, for our customer, our mutual customers. And that is that once you explain to me the varied ways in which you can calculate the profit and the different data points that go into those calculations, I was able to get that stuff out of our system um, in a very powerful manner. Um, once I understood the, the nature of the data you were looking for, it was a simple, uh, simple as a medium <laughs> task to go through, create a process for extracting that data, and then formatting it and, and giving it to you in a way that makes your, your ability to maximize their profit easiest possible way. Yeah, and that has really been a fun project that we've uh, that we've really you know started on some time ago, and I think it's really kind of come to fruition. Uh, just uh, you know, just uh, I think in the last few months, uh, hasn't it? Right? From what I understand, yeah, well, you're just really starting to to kind of roll it out uh, uh, now. Is that is that accurate? Is it, yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, we've been working on it for a little while. And um, we just wanted to circle back now that it's tax time and see what we could do to give our customers this advantage and make it so that their future taxes are far more pleasant. Sure, sure. So, um, uh, well, why don't we just like drill into a specific client example? I'm kind of bouncing around. I'm going to come back to a couple other questions I had. But I know that one of the, I believe one of the first clients that you uh, tested this on uh, was a client we share in Texas. Uh, is that right? Was this one of the first kind of you know yes. uh, clients that you tested this new tool on? And yeah. um, uh, and so what was the uh, you know you know so how did that how did that help them? What was their response to it? Um, you know, did, so they, they open to the idea? Uh, so just kind of talk about that. Okay. So this customer in Texas is a, is a fairly good-sized operation with multiple locations. And okay. they do a very sizable revenue. I don't think it's appropriate for me to throw numbers around. Sure. Um, but they do, you know, a very good amount of revenue. And they do a lot of transactions as any, you know, large facility or multiple facility organization will do. And they were spending days putting together the information. They'd go through, they'd pull some of our reports, and then try and put it together in a way that made sense for you, David, um, to be able to input into your systems. And it was a very mm -hmm. laborious process. 
And once uh, you and I got done, uh, once you got done helping my understanding of it all, I was able to put together a small application that they use now. And the time that used to take them days to put together, now it takes them just a couple of hours. And they've been able to go through and take the thousand plus transactions that they did in the year and quickly categorize them as export or domestic and then mm -hmm. have the system take each individual one of those and calculate. I don't want to say we do all 18 of the different ways in which you calculate the profit, but calculate at least 15, not 15, but I think it's like 12 different possible uh, cost factors mm -hmm. for you to be mm -hmm. able to use in your system. And it's just a matter of put together this crazy data extract once we have the information of what's export and domestic. Yeah, that is awesome. And, I, and I, I've got to tell you, I was excited when you were doing this just from the client side. I was excited about that. But then when I discovered that you actually then configured it uniquely so that it, it plugs straight into our system, the fact that you did that extra uh, effort, really, uh, I really appreciate because you not only helped the client, but you helped uh, us, which ultimately helps the client because we can turn the work around quicker because you know, once they get us everything, they're usually at the end of the process, the corporate returns done, they're just waiting for that final IC disk number. And so you've you doing that is going to help us turn that work around in you know maybe half the time that it would normally take. So so I appreciate you going to that extra step. Well, I'm glad to save you some time, but ultimately I want to save my customers the time. <laughs> you know, sure. putting put putting together all this data can be a timely, a time consuming process. And you know, if you want to do just the standard method and not maximize your return on this, well, then it doesn't take you much time. But if you want to have a an 11-fold increase in the benefit, um, then it's, it's a no-brainer to to do this. And then, you know, for our client or for our existing clients, we're looking at this as really just an add-on to our system, and we're not charging them anything extra for it. Um, our desire is to make this data extraction easy for them and help make them money. Oh, that's uh, th that's great. And because the the tool was specifically written. Uh, for our software, it's uh, it, it doesn't really work very well. My understanding is if they're not using our software. So, so for clients that we share already, which are a sizable amount, that's great. It just kind of plugs right in. Uh, and and I don't know if I'd mention this to you because this has been evolving, but for your clients who have an IC disk that are not customers of ours, we are willing because they're already a customer of yours to do an assessment uh, to where they can uh, produce that data or you could you know, help them produce it. We can run it through our system and we can give them an assessment and kind of what our findings are. And the idea there is that a lot of these clients you have that are doing, that have an IC disk are really only capturing a fraction of the value and uh, people are inherently skeptical. And so this gives us a chance to actually calculate to the penny what they're uh, they're looking at. And so that's something we're doing specifically uh, uh, for, for your customers. And, and obviously, I mean, we're trying to ultimately, um, uh, you know, hoping that we can take over the management of their IC disk, which is why, you know, we're, we're doing this for free. But just, you know, as an aside, in case clients, you know, ask you about this, 
most what you will find is most of your clients, the IC disc work is being done by their, their general CPA firm. And oftentimes they're the only IC disc client that the CPA firm has. It's something the CPA is not not thrilled about doing the work because it's so specialized and they don't really have that specialization, but they don't want to refer it to one of their competitors. And so oftentimes the CPA firm is, is stuck. So we find that frequently if the client is using the CPA firm to do the disc work and they have us take over that, uh, we find it's a win-win for everybody. The client typically triples or more of their tax savings. The CPA gets out of doing the work they didn't really want to do. Uh, you know, we pick up a, a new client. So I just, I give you kind of some of that backstory uh, as you're talking to clients. That's why we're really um, excited about uh, even working with folks who are not currently a client and why um it's it's really not uh, causing any uh, problems for for their setup because what their would, CPA probably doesn't want to do it anyway. But go ahead, I, I'm, I'm yeah. Rambling no, on. no. What, what what I was going to say, David, is is that what you provide is really a best of breed service. You're not there to replace their CPA, if I understand correctly. You're there to make their CPA's job easier. And exactly right. Yeah. Through through this specialty, you can go in and you can provide them a benefit that they may not be aware of and maximize that benefit in a way that somebody who's a general practitioner isn't able to do. You know, like you go to the doctor, you, they, sure, they can tell you there's a problem with something. Uh, oh, you got a problem with your heart. Okay, great. But then you go see the specialist and the specialist is the one that gives you the detailed understanding and diagnosis. And that's kind of like you, you're the, you're the specialized doctor for this IC disc. You know, that's a great way to summarize it because, you know, we have about the same number of clients that you do, about three to 400, whereas all of yours are in the scrap industry. Uh, only some of ours are in the scrap industry. And uh, and even though the scrap's the biggest uh, industry count, you know, it's still, you know, a significant number of clients are, are not in the, the scrap business. And uh, and so one of the things that makes us interesting or different is that to the best of my knowledge, we probably manage more IC discs than any other firm in the country. And we're also the only firm that does only IC disc. And, uh, and that's just, a you know, just like you do only scrap business, we do only IC disc. And, uh, we think that that's that narrow specialization sets us up to, uh, to better serve our clients and make the necessary investments in because we've got our own technology and intellectual property that's you know, we've developed over decades um, just like you do um okay well that's uh that's uh yeah that's that's uh that's really interesting some of the collaboration possibilities that may yield um so i want to jump back to um a couple other things in regards to you know what makes the recycling business unique so um it also seems like the the scrap business that you know that it's got its own language too um and that having that being able to speak the same language as them is important can you talk a bit more about that um yes the, the there's actually multiple layers to that and and what we do with businesses so 
Yes, understanding the scrap business is critical for what we do. The ability to know that when somebody's talking about moving cans around, that that is not actually aluminum cans, but they're talking about roll-off bins or other, you know, type of transactions. And we go and we understand that. But when we go into a business, what we do is, is we provide a common language for everybody in the business. So, for example, a lot of people use the word invoice. And mm -hmm. what is an invoice? Do you get, is an invoice something you pay or is an invoice something you get paid from? When your supplier uh, or the, even the word customer. So, what is a customer? In the scrap business, a customer is usually the person that they buy from and the customer is also somebody they sell to. So, how do you know who you're really talking about? when you just mm -hmm. use the word customer and invoice. Yep. So we come in and we say, no, 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 no. You have suppliers and you have customers. Mm -hmm. And then you have purchases and settlements, and then you have invoices. And by getting everybody to use the exact terms for what it is that they're trying to say to each other, we find that they're then able to communicate so much better and so much more efficiently and say, and so and say, hey, did you get that invoice? Well, what does that mean? And so now they know, did you get that invoice means that you were supposed to send an invoice to somebody so that you could get paid, not mm -hmm. did you get that invoice from your supplier so that you could pay them. And so we do a lot of, a lot of um, specifying how they use our system and how the terms that they use play into the system so that once they get that, they can then do things so much faster and more efficiently. Okay. Well, that, yeah, I think, you know, the bottom line takeaway is use your tool is a product developed by a scrap guy for scrap guys really is the bottom line. And you exactly, exactly. We, we, you know, when you, when you talk about our competition, we came at it from a completely different angle than our competition did. Um, mm -hmm. We're scrap guys. We, mm -hmm. you know, we grew up in the business. So when we started to tackle the issues and problems that people have in the recycling business, we looked at it from the operations side. You're running your business. You do these things daily. You have to have this information to run your business. That's why we call it the operations manager program. Right, and right. Our, our competition comes in and they say, but we're accountants. And we uh, made an accounting program that also does recycling. Mm -hmm. And it never works. And it's a completely different way of looking at the world. Accountants look at the world in a very specialized way. And recyclers look at the world in a very specialized yep. way. And if you try and put an accounting program into a recycling business, it's a square peg in a round hole. And it just never mm -hmm. works out right. And we end up always replacing people that said, oh, we thought we could just do it with QuickBooks. No, QuickBooks <laughs> is a great program, but without our layer on top of it, it's not going to make sense and it's not going to handle what you do. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. In fact, speaking of that, uh, I'd like us uh, to maybe talk about uh, a client uh, success story that comes to mind. And it doesn't even have to be IC disk related. But before you do, I want to just mention that uh, I had a guest on the podcast, oh, about a year ago, and I was looking at some of our records and I think they're clients of yours. Do you know Charlie Rowe with Gateway Recycling? Oh, yes. I, I know Charlie very well. Gateway Recycling in North Carolina is a, a fantastic business. 
Yeah. And he, uh, he sold it a few years ago and, uh, and he was kind enough to be on the podcast because not every scrap client is really comfortable talking about some of their tax strategies. And, you know, IC disc is a tax strategy, but because he had sold the company, uh, he was much more willing to be, uh, you know, to be really uh, just open about that. And, uh, for anybody listening to this, uh, if you just go to the, uh, uh, to some of the other episodes, I think it was about episode eleven or twelve. Uh, it's not that hard to uh, to find, but if you want to hear more from a client's perspective, uh, reach out to them. So, how about? Um, I know you've probably got a bunch of different customer success stories. Why don't you pick one, and you know, one where uh, you're 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 uh, at liberty to use the name of the client. You know, maybe somebody who you've used in advertising materials or stuff. Um, and either talking about maybe problems they had with another vendor, how long it takes to close, or just you know trying to keep up with a bunch of paperwork. So uh, does one example come to mind that you could uh, talk about? Uh, you know, I have a million examples, but I guess I'll just randomly pick one. Um, we recently set up last year a company called American Recycling in Modesto, California. Okay. And they were kind of an interesting project. What happened was is they had bought um, one of our competitor software. And our competitor comes in there and they have this slick look in, um, I don't know, I don't even know how to phrase it other than the slick looking thing. It's like, uh, you know, all dressed up with the fancy this, fancy that looking stuff. And it does nothing. It has oh, wow. math problems, inventory problems, all these things. But the guy who sells it is one of the slickest salesmen you ever met. And, you know, one of those guys that can sell, um, you know, ice cream to Eskimos in the middle of winter. And, um, you know, and they promise them the world. And one of the things that we hear all the time is people always say, our system does everything the 21st century programs does. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it's true, and that's because we've been out there for such a long time. We're well-known within the industry, and we have an incredibly flexible, powerful program. But our program has been around for 20 years, and so it looks a little bit dated. You know, big deal. It may look dated, but you know what? It is the workhorse, and it will do everything that you need it to do, and it's guaranteed to do it all because it's been doing it all for so long. Well, these guys thought that the new slick-looking thing with the slick salesmen would uh, do them better. And so they went and they bought that package, and they've just had a, they had just a nightmare experience where for a year they tried to get the program in, and they could never get the data to come out correctly. They ended up having to hire more people into their business instead of getting rid of people, which is what a software system should do. And um, I get this call from the owner, and it just was really a sad call for me because he just was in need of help in a bad way and that these guys had just did him wrong in, in so many different ways and just treated him poorly and kept promising and never kept a single promise. Mm, and wow. so, yeah. And so he's like, Dave, you got to help me out. And so within a month, we you know, basically stopped the presses on a bunch of other things that we were doing and got in there and got this guy straightened out. And now a year later, he moved out of Modesto and is running his business from his new home in a completely different state. 
and oh, wow. uh, thankful, yeah, thankful that he was able to let go of people and monitor and manage his whole business remotely now, and have confidence that the numbers that he he's getting are correct, and that he's got a partner. You know, in a, earlier in the podcast, we talked a little bit about family, and and for me, family is an important thing. I look at all my customers as part of our family. And when I hear somebody's having a bad experience or something like that, it really gets to me and I want to try and make sure that they're taken care of. And even though this guy was wronged by somebody else, we still really tried to do everything we could to make his experience uh, professional, quick, easy, and painless. And, um, you know, one of the things that he said to me was, is, you know, the previous vendor would say statements like, well, I have bigger customers or so-and-so does it like this. And why don't you do it like that? And, mm. you know, my, my response to that was, is you're, it doesn't matter. You're my most important customer. If I'm on the phone right. with you, you're the most important one because getting customers is really hard and keeping customers is really important. And yeah, making sure yeah, that they're happy and their their needs are met is something that we really try and and go above and beyond. And you may have a software system now. Sorry, a little sales pitch. Um, sure. you have a software system now, but it's never too late to change the road you're on. Okay, and I and I also want to just you know, make sure I'm I'm clear on something, and our listeners are so. Uh, you know, the scrap uh, industry has an annual uh, convention every year, usually in April, frequently in Las Vegas. And the acronym is ISRI. I forget what it stands for. The uh, Insti uh, Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries. And then as an FYI, I've been a member of ISRI actually longer than it's been called that. Um, when my dad was in the business, it was called ISIS. And oh, yeah. before that, yeah. And before that, it was the VFW. Um, and so I was a member of ISIS, <laughs> which okay. is a horrible thing to say in today's <laughs> terrorist world. But uh, back when it was the Institute of Steel and Iron something or another. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, and I, and I want to really kind of point out. So the, uh, the, the convention in 2020 was was canceled because of COVID. But I remember when I was there in 19, I was just walking around the convention hall and it seems like every year there's a new scrap software company that that pops up. And I was just talking to this company because, you know, I'm always in like for me, my number, my fiduciary duty is to my clients. Right. So so I'm always trying to you know be knowledgeable of what's going on. And I talked to the software company and they were like brand new, new to the scrap business. But their approach was hey, we've kind of like leapfrogged the old technology and everything was cloud-based and you can access everything on your phone or a tablet. And on the surface, I'm like, like that sounds like pretty cool. And then, but then I was, I, uh, uh, I was there was a client that happened to walk by and I was showing it to, to him and he's like, okay, okay. And, uh, and then we left and I'm like, hey, that software is kind of cool. What do you think? He goes, you know, he goes, it reminds me of, and I forget the brand. He goes, yeah, I've got this brand of equipment and I forget if it was Caterpillar or Cenobogan that he said, you know, we just have used forever. It's reliable. It works. And every year somebody's got some new fangled high tech, you know, you know, system. And it's like, it just doesn't work. It's like, give me the old reliable 
uh, orange or yellow iron that I know works, that's got interoperability, and I don't care that it's not the fanciest looking thing. And that comment made me think that kind of maybe is a sort of describes your software in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we are uh, reliable. We're got a strong foundation. Uh, you know, we're like the pyramid. We've been there around a long time and we're going to be around for a long time. And there's no, you know, pushing the pyramid over. It's there, it's solid, and it does what you want it to do. Gotcha. I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, well, wow, we have really covered a lot. And I cannot believe that we're already uh, an hour into this. And uh, so I guess it's time for us to, uh, to bring this fun uh, episode to a close. Um, so just a uh, just a few wrap-up questions. One is, uh, are there any questions I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you that, that you just feel like that needs to be commented on? Uh, no, you know, it's it's kind of funny. You're, you're talking to me as if this is, uh, you know, information about me. And I look at it as it's really it's information about what we can do for people. And that at, at some level, yeah, you know, it's nice to talk about me and, and that, but that's not who I am. What I'm about is, is helping our customers and helping the people that we serve. And that if anybody listening to this can get one thing out of it, it is that through this IC disc, you can save a ton of money. And I don't like paying taxes to the government. I think it's too big and all those other issues. So if I can help people save money and, and get this tax credit going, then that's what I want the most out of this podcast. Awesome. Well, I uh, really appreciate that. So if somebody um, is listening to this and they're interested in learning more about your company and how you can be of help to them or your product, uh, what should they do next? Um, either give us a call or, you know, check out our website, but we're going to be redoing the website soon, <laughs> you That's know, okay. but, uh, you know, they can give me a call. Uh, and what's the phone number? Email. Yeah. What's phone the phone number, number they should call you? Yeah. It's, it's 21st century programming and it's five, six, two, nine, eight, one, one, zero, three, zero. And okay. we've always got people there to take calls. We're on both the East Coast and the West Coast. And, um, you know, we've been doing this a long time and happy to help anybody we can. And then your website is? It's www.e is in Eric, the number two, the number one, C is in Charlie, P is in Paul.com. So it's e21cp.com. Got you. Um, and then your uh, email address you were about to mention, if they want to just reach out to yeah. the, the man in just charge. Dave at E21CP.com. That is very easy. And what does the E stand for? I know what the 21st century program is. It stands for 20 years ago, everything was E this, I that. Oh, I see. E-commerce is <laughs> all about e-commerce. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And um, back, you know, and there's, there's somebody had the 21CP domain before me. So there was nothing I could do about it. And uh, that was just the only thing. Because we also have the domain 21stcenturyprogramming.com. That's just a lot to type. Sure, sure. No, it is. Yeah, I like how short it is. Well, Dave, well, thank you again for making time to be on the show. I really thought I knew a lot about um, your company, but I must say I learned so many things. And uh, it's really been uh, 
it's, it's just been a treat to kind of hear your your philosophy and uh, you know where you came from and how you approach this business as one scrap guy helping other scrap guys. So thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for having me, David. All right. You have a great day. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-disc-show.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.